0: Hey everybody, it's Mike. Welcome or welcome back to the Revision Church podcast. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the Revision app, which is actually the best way to get access to new content and share it with friends. You can get the app by texting Revision App to 77977. Thanks for listening today. My hope is that this message will be helpful for you and would inspire you to take the next step on your faith journey. Amen. You guys can take a seat. We have a a special treat this morning. Uh, my friend David Sorn is here, and I have more to say about him probably than he would appreciate me saying, but David's the lead pastor of Renovation Church in Blaine, Minnesota, and put simply, Revision Church would not exist without him. He's the guy who uh, kept taking me out to lunch again and again, saying, you should plan a church, you should plan a church, and no matter how many times I told him no, he kept taking me out to lunch, and so uh just for the better part of like two decades now, David has been uh, a mentor to me and an encourager to me and an incredible friend to me and um, just cannot say uh, enough great things about what this guy means in my life. So would you guys put your hands together and give a welcome to, to just one of my heroes, David Sorn?
1: Thank you. Doctor. Good morning, Revision Church. uh, I'm so excited to be here. This is my second time here. I was here uh, last summer just sitting in the seats and watching. It was just a blessing uh, to be here. I'm so excited to be here uh, this morning. Uh, You know, Mike and I became friends a long time ago now, uh, back in uh, seminary. Uh, And when I was uh, leaving to plant my church uh, way back in 2009, I was a youth pastor at this uh, church called Constance Free Church. And uh, Mike had submitted his application. And I told my bosses, like, you've got to look at this guy. He's amazing. Uh, he's got great hair. Um, this, was a, this was a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> and they, he really had hair. Uh, you can look it up on Facebook or something. Um, but no, we, we really got to know each other, uh, worked together, uh in this kind of coaching relationship. And uh, of course, over time, just became uh, great friends. And I'm, I'm so blessed to be here. Uh, I just want you to know what a blessing I think it is for you to sit under uh, his leadership. Uh, Mike is... Such a wise, smart, sharp person. He knows the word of God. And not only that, he understands so well the culture around us and how to speak into that. So not only is he one of the smartest people I know, uh, he also just has such a huge heart. Sometimes you have people who are really, really smart, but they don't have a heart. You know, Mike Howard is one of those people who has both of those things. He's got a heart not only for you, uh, but for the city, and most importantly, for our God. So if I were in Des Moines, this is where I would go to church. Uh, So I'm just, I'm happy to be able to speak and teach the Word of God uh, here this morning. So uh, we are going to teach through uh, Exodus chapter 33 this morning. So if you brought a Bible with you, or if you just use an app, that's A-OK. But I'd love for you to get it out. When, When I teach the scriptures i love for people to just have it in front of them. And so if you would open up somehow to Exodus 33, that way you can kind of go back to it if you're like, what was that part? I just think it's helpful to have it out. So Exodus 33, I'm gonna summarize Exodus one through 32. Uh, in 60 seconds okay so you kind of know where we are in the bible so when you start the book of exodus the israelites are in god's people are in slavery in egypt but god sends moses in to be a leader and deliver them uh, through the 10 plagues remember like the nile river turns to blood and all that kind of stuff and then eventually uh, god has moses lead them out of egypt through the red sea and they're kind of wandering a little bit through the desert, through the Sinai Peninsula, on their way to the Promised Land. And then Moses goes up to the mountain to talk to God, and he's there for 40 days, right? And the Israelites get kind of frustrated. Now, in Moses' defense, he's receiving the Ten Commandments. I don't know, kind of important, right? But they're frustrated that he's taking so long to come down. They're frustrated that God is not someone that they can control, because we all kind of want a God we can control control you know what i'm saying right and so they get frustrated and in their frustration they start to kind of revise god into their own image which we still do today and they shape and say ah this is our real god and they create this golden calf right they begin to worship the golden calf Well, the 40 days are up moses comes down he sees them with the golden calf and moses is a He's a bit of a spaz in the scripture. I mean, he's amazing, but he breaks the Ten Commandments. He's so frustrated, right? And chapter 33 of Exodus is kind of the aftermath of what happens after that event. Okay, we're all caught up? All right, let's read. So Exodus 33, we're going to start right at verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place. You and the people you brought out out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as their ancestors, saying, "I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you, and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites." Now let's pause for a second. At first glance, this kind of sounds like good news for the Israelites because he just said, "All right." Get out of here. You can finally get going. Go to the promised land. I'm even going to send an angel with you, and that angel is going to knock down all your enemies. Promised land is going to be yours. Sounds good, but then God drops this bomb on them. Look at this, verse 3 now. He says, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. That's the promised land. But I will not go with you. But I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people. And I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn. And no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Okay, let's talk about this. So God tells the people that they can go to the promised land. And their enemies will be destroyed. They can thrive in the land of milk and honey. But as it stands right now, he's not going with them. Their sin is so great. Remember, this hasn't even been a long time since he miraculously delivered them. Ten plagues, you know, parting the sea, all of that kind of stuff. And they've turned to just revising him into some sort of image, into a golden cow. Their sin is so great. And there's been no repentance, okay? Their sin is so great that he says, even if I was with you for a second, that the wrath of God, the justice of God, the things we don't talk about in the American church, but are real in scripture, the wrath of God, the justice of God is so great that he says, I would consume you if I came with you. Unless some significant repentance happens, God's not coming with to the promised land. Now, theologically, we would say that God is omnipresent, right? That means he's everywhere, but he means he's not coming within any personal sense. His presence won't be with them anymore. But thankfully, Moses begins to intercede for the Israelites. Now, if you study the whole chapter, uh, verses 7 through 11 <clears throat> are kind of like an interlude to the story, so we're going to rejoin this at verse 12. So find verse 12, and we'll start right there. Here's what it says. <clears throat> Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your way, so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Okay. I think perhaps the most amazing thing about how the Israelites, of all people, respond to God's warning that he might not be coming with them is is basically their response, right? It's pretty amazing because you've got a people who were just a few days ago in massive sin, but when they get word that the Lord might not be coming with them to the promised land, they are truly devastated. And it says they mourn, it says they take off their ornaments, so what is that? Well, they had all this gold jewelry, and what were were they doing with it? They were mostly using it to shape and fashion idols, so they say, oh, we don't even want anything to do with this anymore, and then look again at verse 15, it's kind of the key verse of the chapter. It says, then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. They're basically saying, not without you. Not without you, Lord. And God answers their prayer and says, okay, I'll come, I'll come with. There's repentance, right? There's restoration in the relationship. And I think the Israelites, for all of their shortcomings, and they had a lot of shortcomings, they learned to value something about God that I think most American Christians don't value with the same intensity. And what they've learned to value is what I would call the presence of God. They love the presence of God and they experience the presence of God. And if you think about it, the presence of God kind of went with them everywhere. So when they, when they leave Egypt and they're walking even towards the Red Sea, we're told that the cloud, cloud of the Lord's presence came with them by the day and then there was a pillar of fire by night. The Lord even fed them. He fed them with manna six days a week. Even when Moses is up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, it says there's this smoke there. There's this presence of the Lord that is so tangible for them. And now the idea of them going off to the promised land without the presence of the Lord, it terrifies them. So much so that these people, they just flat out refuse to go. They say, we're not going. Well, then we're not going to go then. But think about this. Look at, you, look at verse 2 again, if you have the word in front of you. It said, God told them he was going to send an angel to conquer their enemies. Remember the Perizzites and the Jebusites? And He said, listen, you guys can go. You can go to the promised land. I'm going to send an angel. You can all live there, and it'll be just fine. And they said, no, no deal, not without you. And I just wonder, would we respond in the same way? Hey, honestly, I'm not so sure. In fact, let me ask you a question. Okay, if God came to you and he said, my friend, I am prepared to give you everything you've ever wanted. And the Lord says to you, he says, you know that dream job that you've always wanted? I'm going to give it to you. A person, for the single people in the room, that person that you've wanted to marry, no problem, right? The kids you wanted to have, I can get it. The house that you wanted to have, your health problems, I can fix them. What if the Lord says, I will give you everything for the rest of your life, everything that your heart desires, but here's the catch. If I give you those things, then you won't have my presence. Would you take that deal? My fear is that so many of us have actually already taken that deal without knowing it let's look at it, this in reverse, and, and I think that you'll see this. So many of us as Americans, we've actually already gotten what we wanted. Like you wanted to graduate high school, and you did. Many of you, you wanted to go to college, and, and a lot of you in this room, you did. You wanted a, a job in a certain field, and you got it. You wanted to get married, and, and you were, and you wanted to have kids, and you did. You wanted to have a house, and, and you got it. I mean, these are things that so many people around the world want and don't have, and we've gotten them. We've already gotten so many things and yet sadly, so many of us, despite all the things that we've gotten, we aren't actually even that bothered that God isn't really all that present in our lives anymore. And we're not all that bothered to the point that it would like keep you up at night, right? We were just singing, I'll sing through the night, right? Many of us are just sleeping through the night despite the fact that honestly our hearts are lukewarm for Jesus right now. We've gotten everything, but honestly, our hearts are just meh for God. Now, do you see this? Do you see this in reverse? What's happening is some of us were actually already well on our way to the material promised land, and yet God isn't actually really with us, and we haven't even really noticed. And I would say the word of God says to you that you ought to weep over that. Like the Israelites wept over the idea of the presence of God not being in their life. Too many of us, I just think we we don't talk like the way Moses talked, where he just says, if you're not coming, I'm not moving. I think we, we miss out on not only the presence of God, but just the greatness of God in this country. I think for a lot of us, God has been turned simply into this like, nice little bonus that we can call to, like if, if our American dream isn't really working out, we actually hit some resistance and things go bad, and it's like, oh, maybe, maybe I could pray. Maybe I could bring God in. And what's happened in this country is God, for many people, is almost more like an administrative assistant. Like, here's you, and he's sort of serving under you, and if you need some things, you can call on God to help you. Whereas scripturally, God is the king of kings. He is the Lord of Lords, and we are to come up under him. And so what is it? Why are we getting this wrong? What is it that the Israelites see so strongly, so clearly that we don't see? They see that to get everything that they've ever wanted but not have God would be a complete disaster. In some ways, I feel like we should have learned this lesson by now in America. You know, A good sort of case study for us would be like the American celebrity, right? And we've had celebrities for a long time. You can go back 50, 60 years. I mean, they're on every grocery store, magazine. Uh, you, cable TV, all was, you had entire channels dedicated to celebrities now in the age of social media, right? Just celebrities on every single feed, influencers. And how are most of them enjoying their life? Not a lot, right? They're kind of famous, infamous for being miserable people. They can't stay married. They can't stay happy. Well, what is that? Why are celebrities so traditionally miserable? It's because when you get all of the creation without the creator, you're going to be nothing but miserable. Because when God molded you, when he fashioned you, he created you to find life in him, not in things. And you could say, well, that's just celebrities. But I'll tell you, listen, I pastor right in the heart of suburban Minnesota. And I talk to people all the time that say, Pastor, I, I feel like I've gotten everything. I'm successful in my law firm. I'm living in a $700,000 house. Like the world will look at me and say, wow, congratulations. You've got it. But I feel like I don't have it. But what are they missing? They're missing what you were created for. And that is a relationship. I mean, a real daily relationship, not just like I got saved one time 15 years ago, a real daily relationship where God is guiding you, not just you calling on God once in a while. Some of you right now, you're on this path of life, and you're walking on this road, and you actually haven't thought critically enough yet about what is the road that you're on. And so really what's at the end of your road, the main thing that you're aiming for, for many of you in this room, is success. For some of you, you're walking on the road that really most of your life choices, how you're living, you're just basically living for prosperity, for financial blessing. For others of you, it's... It's pleasure, your your, your weekends, how you structure your time. You're living on this road of pleasure. For some of you, it's just like comfort, safety. You're just trying to get out of hard conversations, and you just want to be comfortable, right? That's what you're living for, but you never actually stop to say, yeah, that's the aim of my life. I'm just going to call it out, but I'm just telling you, if that's the road that you're on, it won't lead anywhere. It won't lead to what you actually are craving because you were created for the presence of God, to experience a relationship with God, not for any of those other things. And so you want to emulate the heart of Moses here. I think, I would just say this to you. It is so important that like the prayer of your heart, like the call of your heart would really be these three words throughout your life that you would from your heart be saying to god not without you not without you like even in the little things you're going into a meeting this week and you don't know how it's going to go you walk into that meeting and you just say not without you lord not would you just guide me would you just lead me and in the big things that you would pray god i don't actually want to seek a career or a job in this certain place unless you're guiding me, not without you. And the next time you start looking to your future, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a job, maybe it's where you're moving, that you would always just say, not without you. I don't want to step this way if you're not coming with me. Where do you want me to go? Not without you. And I think it's kind of a foreign way of thinking, if we're just going to be totally honest, for a lot of American Christians, but I was like, how did the Israelites know this truth so well? That they so quickly walked, responded and said, no way, that's, it's not, This is no way we would do that. And I think you can see this if you look back at their story because this is a people who lived for generations in slavery under just crazy, maniacal pharaohs, in the genocidal rages. That's the environment in which they were following God. And so they had learned That God was still good. His presence was still good, even in the hardest of times. Times that most of us couldn't even really imagine. And thus, they just already had learned. They already knew that they didn't need prosperity. Sure, they wanted to go to the promised land, right? They wanted to be set free, but to really find what their hearts desired. They didn't need prosperity. They didn't need the perfect job. They didn't need the perfect family. They just needed God. And I think perhaps sometimes our prosperity in America, it just shields us from knowing this deeper truth. You know, I've been to Africa five times in the, in the last nine years uh, to some of the poorest places on earth. Just last month, uh, I spent a couple of weeks in Mozambique, which is the fifth poorest country uh, in the entire world. And I did ministry with people who would come along and translate and preach the gospel. We were preaching the gospel on the streets and you know, sadly, you could always remember people's names because they would show up every week in, or every day in the same shirt because they only had one shirt. Right? You meet their family and their kids don't even have shoes. And yet, what do you see? You see their joy, you see their dedication to Jesus Christ. And I felt even like insecure in my own faith doing ministry along these dedicated people. But what have they learned? They've learned, because of their environment, things that we don't learn in America so easily as Christ followers. They have learned and felt the conviction of learning the secret of being content in all things, as Paul said. And what is the secret of being content in all things? It's a daily personal relationship with Jesus Christ where you're tangibly experiencing his presence. And I'm just not so sure that we've learned that here. I mean, we just clutch so tightly our idols of prosperity. I mean, I have a friend in my life who his, his house has burned down twice. Can you imagine that? When he was 18 years old, his house burned down. And then again at like 35, another house burned down. That's unbelievable. What if your house burned down? What if you lost your job tomorrow? What if your family started falling apart? What if we went through these things? How would we survive? How tightly are you holding the circumstances of your life to determine your happiness? What is it that truly even makes your soul happy in the first place? I think this is an interesting question. Am I happy because of God? Because of my relationship with God? Or is it just I come to God asking him to change my circumstances because then that will make me happy? Like, what is it? What what truly is driving that in your life? I just want you to hear me so closely today, my, my Christian friends. All the results in the world can never compare to deeply experiencing the presence of God. They just can't. There was a really important, I love studies, and there was a really important study done just a few years ago by a man named David Lycan. And what they did is they studied happiness. I know you guys have been talking about that uh, this summer too, but they they studied happiness uh, by studying how much happier people get when they have major uh, life changes, like really positive results. So I'm talking like you have your dream wedding, right? Or you, uh, you move into a mansion, right? Or you finally get your dream job. And they studied that over time, that even when people have very positive life changes, that percentage-wise their happiness only increases by 3%. Like it's the most amazing thing, and their happiness increases by 3% because of something different in their life. I mean, you can kind of see this even in a microcosm. Like, if you ever get like a new phone? I'm sure you do, right? And like the first couple days, you're like, oh, man, this is so good. Have you seen this? Like, this is wild. It's amazing, right? And then six months later, you're like, this is such a piece of crap. I just can't. It doesn't work, right? What is that? Well, because things and changes over time, they don't substantially really change your happiness of what you were made for, of what you're seeking, right? And that's because your goal in life is not to seek circumstances. But we are so focused on it, aren't we? But your goal in life is not to seek circumstances, it's to seek the creator. And this is what the Israelites knew that we just didn't know. The, God, I mean, think about this. This, to me, is just like the most amazing part of the passage. God offered them the most amazing of circumstances. He said, listen, no problem. I'm going to send an angel. I'm going to conquer all your enemies. You can live in the land of milk and honey. I mean, do you even understand how appealing this would be to these people? Okay? They're living. They're eating manna every day. Same thing for six. You know what the the word manna means? In Hebrew, it means, what is it? That's really what it means. So they're eating, what is it, seven days a week, right? In the desert, they're living in these sort of makeshift tents. It's hot, it's awful, right? And God is saying, I'll give you the promised land. I'll send an angel and you can just go there. But if they say, if you're not going, we're not going, not without you. And when you think biblically like this, okay, you think like we are to think as Exodus 33 tells us, that means you have to kind of reshift how you're thinking about your future, how you're thinking about your life goals, the road you're walking on. It has to become less about you and more about Him. As John the Baptist I must decrease, He must increase. Because well, this is a hard word, but I think too often, Christians, we just use God. We use God as someone who can get us to where we want to get. And then when he gets us there and he answers our prayers, we don't really care. We're just glad that he, we got there. I mean, you can see this maybe in your own prayer life. Like when you pray, what are you praying about? Are you only ever praying that God would change or improve your situation? Or are you praying that God would just increase his presence in whatever your situation is? Because how did Moses pray, how did they react? He didn't say, God, what we want is the promised land, we want these circumstances, we just want to get out of this desert, we can't stand eating this junk every day, so if you could change that, if you could just kinda change the weather, if you get us a place in milk and honey, if we could just get that, he doesn't pray like that, right? He basically says, Lord, the promised land is not the promised land if you're not in it. Not without you. You know, when you study the book of Exodus, one of the things that jumps out is the promised land isn't actually the goal. When Moses is speaking with Pharaoh, Pharaoh's like, why do you need to go? What, do you, what is this for? And he, says, he keeps saying, well, the Lord says he wants us to leave so that we may go and worship him. That we may know him and know his presence in this amazing way. And so God takes them out of Egypt so they can know him. And it's the same for you as a Christian. God didn't rescue you and lead you to Christ so that he could then help you be more blessed and happy and have more positive results in your life. He rescued you so you could know him. And so here's my question for you, Revision Church. Does the thought... Of getting everything that you want, but feeling God continue to slip away. Does that grieve you? Because remember, the Israelites, they were grieved and they mourned. And I think for a church like this, I think this is so important to understand. I look out, I see a lot of people in here, you're in your late 20s, your 30s, your 40s. What happens to a lot of American Christians is they have a time in their life, maybe it was youth group, for a lot of people it was college, when they're just like on fire for Christ. Right, they're in a Christian community and they're passionate for Christ. And then what happens? Right? You start to get a little older in your 20s and you get married. Now you're thinking about marriage all the time. And if this is like your circumstances, let's say this is your passion for God, the presence of God that you're experiencing in your life. You, you get some circumstances in your marriage. And now you're thinking about your marriage. And then you got a job and your work is out. And then you got kids. And boy, they're ridiculous, right? And then well, all these things that happen. You're getting better circumstances. Oh, you moved into a house now or whatever. And you just feel. Like your faith, your passion for Jesus Christ is just fading over time. You're here, you're at church. Sure, you believe in God, you're not an atheist, but you're not just like, I'm passionate for Jesus Christ right now. And the Bible says you ought to mourn over that. You ought to mourn over it. Say, God, I want you back in my life. I don't want to do this without you anymore because it isn't about this, it's about you I want you back in my life. And after you look at your heart, I, want you just, I just want you to pray differently. When you pray and you pray about like a job, I want you to pray, God, I actually, Lord, I don't even want that job if it means that I'm going to have to adjust my schedule and start missing church more. I don't want that job if it means that I can't go to my house group on Tuesday night. I don't want that job if it's going to mean I'm going to lose more of you in the process. I don't want results without the Redeemer. I don't want it if you're not in it, not without you. For the single people in the room, when you pray and you pray about a future spouse, and I know that you do, I want you to pray this. I want you to pray, God, I don't want to get married if it means marrying someone who doesn't love you and thus my heart towards you would cool in the process. Not without you, Jesus Christ. Not without you. Nothing else matters if God is not moving in your life anymore. All the promotions, all the raises, and sure, you pray. The Lord tells us to pray for everything, to bring our request to him. But listen, all the promotions, all the raises, all the diplomas, all of the jobs, all of the houses, they will just be like crumbs slipping through your fingers if the presence of God is fading in your life. I say, Jesus, come back into my life. I don't want to do this without you. And why do we pray like that? We pray like that because of who he is. He's the Son of God. And the Son of God came to die in our place. Even though I'm spending much of my time, much of my life, let's just be real, dethroning God. I'm saying, that's nice. Yeah, you told me to do that, but actually, I'm going to do it this way. Still, the Son of God came and died for you and me. He sees all of your jealous thoughts, all of your gossip the adultery, the lust, every sin that we've ever committed, everything. And yet he came. This is unbelievable, really. It's unbelievable. He came and he died on the cross for you, taking the punishment for your sin. And saying, if you would only believe in me, I I would save you. And not only that, I would bring you into my family. The fact that, come on, the fact that he saw all of your sin, looked at you and said, I want her in my family. I want that man, I want him in my family. I want him to be my adopted son. I want to guide them. I want a relationship with them. I want to bless them with my presence. I'm going to change their life. I'm going to walk with them. Come on, that is amazing. So because that's who the son of God is and that's what he's done in our lives. What I want to do, what I want you to do is to look at him and say, God, even though in my imperfection you came and you died for me, I want to look at you in your perfection. And I want to look to the next spot in my life, the decisions I make this week, the career where I'm going, my family that I'm starting, that whatever it is, I want to look to you. And with all of my heart, I want to say, Jesus Christ, not without you. Let me pray. Lord, we just pray that would indeed be the prayer of our heart. God, I pray for any person in this room right now that is just battling in their mind about coming back to you, about asking you to be the king of their life again and not just going their own way. Lord, would they experience your presence, your guidance, even as we worship now. May we not just sing, but may we just lift up our hearts to you, our lives to you, to come under you again. That we would say all of us as a people of God, not without you. It's your amazing name, we pray. Amen.